Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it will be up on the screens. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands, or the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So uh, I'd like to introduce, by the way, I'm Pastor Mark, if you didn't know, and uh I am so glad to not be speaking to you today, <laughs> and um, I want to introduce Pastor Chris, who, come on up, Chris, Chris Berninger, who was, yeah. So, uh, Chris was pastor here from, I believe, two, or 1998 to 2010, and um, many of you know him from those times, and many of you don't because you're newer. But um, Chris has, um, uh, I, I, I've, I've had a friendship with him for quite a while, and he has a, he has a great reputation as a pastor. And I know he loved his time here, and I know a lot of you, uh, that was a, a great time when you came here. So um, we're just privileged to have him here today. When I thought about this series called Sync, living in sync with Jesus's, or in alignment with Jesus's words, you know, Chris's name came to mind as somebody that that's a big deal for. So um, what he's doing now is, so he went from here to California, and um, then for the last year or two uh, has been living on, on Whidbey Island. And kind of a, I'll let him explain that, but uh, Chris, glad to have you here. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is so great for me to be here. I just flew f- late last night, arrived late last night, got a couple hours of sleep at the Bolstead's house from California, where I was with my father, Will. Some of you will remember him, Will Bruniger. Uh, he's, he's living uh, quite the life in a vibrant um, retirement community. He's got a schedule that's chocked full of things like bocce ball and, and billiards and bongo 
lessons. He's taking bongo lessons. So my, my mother, who passed away about three years ago, would be so proud, uh, my bohemian mother. Um, so he's, he's doing very well. He sends his regards. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm recently retired. I, you, know, you don't really retire from ministry, but I've stepped down from vocational ministry and I'm exploring God's next chapter for me. Uh, it was a, it's a long story how we wound up on Whidbey Island, but I've always wanted to live near saltwater. And I've always been attracted to the San Juan Islands ever since my father and I built a cabin on Henry Island. And so here we are on Whidbey Island, and I'm spending my time raising a golden doodle puppy, which we just adopted. Uh, renovating a beautiful home right on the water. It's a duplex home. So downstairs, my intent was to turn it into a and b because it's a beautiful property. But I, in talking with locals, I learned that short-term rentals are in real short supply. And so we decided to put it on the market as a rental, and so we're renting it out. Um, I'm working part-time at a local winery one day a week, um, pouring up wine and talking to people about food-wine pairing. I'm volunteering at a local Episcopalian church, and I'm drinking that liturgy, liturgy deeply, loving that experience. Um, the last few years of ministry uh, since I left Pine Lake Governor Church have been challenging, to say the least. But this next chapter I'm finding to be very, very uh, invigorating. And it's, and it's so great for both Amy and I. She'll be here at the second service. She's going to come early to maybe greet some of you in the gym. Um, but it's, it's just delightful for us to be back in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm so happy to be here. I look fondly on the years where I pastored in this church. My kids were raised in this church. Marcus, my son, met his wife in kindergarten in this church, Sherilyn Bolstead. Now they're happily married, live in Incarnation. He'll be here at the Second Service as well. Uh, It's been my experience, and I say this to anybody who has an ear, that Pine Lake Covenant Church is a church with a big heart for the world that God loves. Great leadership, great pastoral staff. Uh, Sharon, thank you so much for that prayer. Thank you for writing that prayer. That was a beautiful prayer. And um, I just have so much respect for Mark, for Sharon, and for the uh, lay leaders in this church. Um, I, I am deeply um, thankful for my time here. And now I want to share with you uh, one of the most misunderstood stories of Jesus that has a lot to say about the important ways that we follow Jesus, this story that has been named the Good Samaritan. It's kind of a misnomer, as we will see, but it's predicated on this question of who is my neighbor? So I'm going to just walk through the story with you, tease out a couple of applications, leave you with a challenge. The story opens with a religious professional. This guy is a lawyer, and he is an expert in Mosaic law. His job is to arbitrate disagreements among Jews by interpreting Torah and applying it to these test cases. So he is a religious lawyer. He's an expert in Torah. And so this religious expert poses this question to Jesus, and we're told that he does so to test 
Jesus. And this was a common thing. Rabbis and Pharisees and uh, lawyers would often have exchange in public and others would listen in and it would be a teaching moment by way of this kind of controversial uh, form of interaction. So he poses this question to Jesus in the earshot of a bunch of people around him and he asks, Rabbi Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And just like many rabbis would do, Jesus answers his question with a question. Well, what does the law say? Jesus, knowing full well, this guy knows the law up and down. The expert says, kind of, I'm envisioning being puffing his chest a little bit, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says to him, bingo, great answer, A plus, do that and you will live. Well, this religious expert isn't quite satisfied. And so we're told that he wanted to justify himself. It's not just that he wants to be sure that he's doing enough to to inherit eternal life. In other words, he's not trying to check off boxes to see if he's living up to the requirements. It's more like he's pretty sure he's doing enough and he just wants to test it. And so he asks Jesus this loaded question, Who is my neighbor, Rabbi Jesus? Who is my neighbor? Now, you need to know this was a hotly debated question in Jesus' day. Everybody agreed, every good Jew would agree with the command in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. The debate was just how far you could stretch the definition of who a neighbor was. And so the rabbis taught that my neighbors are my people, my blood, my tribe, this, these people. The Jews, my fellow Jews, these are my neighbor. And some would ask, well, what about people who come from other nationalities and ethnicities and convert to Judaism? What about them? And some rabbis said, yep, they're neighbors. And other rabbis said, nope, they're not. So it was hotly debated, but everybody agreed on who was not a neighbor. Gentiles not a neighbor. Pagans, don't count. Heretics, definitely off the list. As human beings, we are quick to circle wagons, draw lines, and build walls. Because we want to know just who's in, who's out, who's on this side of the border, and who's on that side of the border. Am I in? Are you in? Are they in? Or are they out? That's what this guy wants to know. Where do you come down, Rabbi Jesus, in the great neighbor debate? Who's my neighbor? Now, in our day, we hear echoes of that question in discussion and debate about all kinds of issues, including immigration control, human sexuality, border security, the list goes on and on and on. This neighbor debate, you see, is not new. It just takes different form in different contexts. 
And so true to Rabbi Jesus' style, he doesn't answer the question with a proposition. He tells a story. And the story is a scandalous story. And it gets Jesus into a whole heap of trouble. And the story begins with a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a narrow, double-track, small-like road that traversed through a valley with hills and crannies on both sides where robbers would hang out and jump people to mob them, to rob them. And that's what happened to this individual. We're not told anything about this man. We don't know who he was, but he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. We can assume he's perhaps a Jew. But anyway, he goes down the row. He's ambushed. He's beaten. He's robbed. And he's stripped. He's left for dead. His bloody wounds baking in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And then the first of three people come upon this broken man. A priest is the first one to come upon him. He almost trips over him, but he does nothing to help him. He's thinking, well, I'm a priest. I work in the temple. I deal with sacred objects. And if I touch the the wounds of this individual, I will become unclean. And it's a pain in the royal temple to have to go through ritual to become unclean. And I'm already late for my appointment, so... He passes him on the other side of the road, and he just keeps on moving on. A Levite, a second religious professional, comes upon him. Now, unlike priests, Levites didn't gain a lot of money from the temple. He wasn't likely to have much money, so he doesn't open up his wallet, but he still he could have stopped. He could have done something, but we're told he just keeps on keeping on. He just moves beyond him. And then a Samaritan comes along. And if you're in the audience listening to this story, when Jesus is telling it, an audible gasp would have, uh, would have taken place upon hearing the word Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Ever since they threw dog bones into the temple to defile it, the most holy of places, they were considered no better than a river rat. They were despised more than, a, than an obnoxious Raider fan at a home Seahawk game. <laughs> they were hated that bad. But this Samaritan, this Samaritan binds up the wounds of the man who was robbed, takes him to an inn, opens up his wallet, and says to the caretaker, here, take him in. All expenses on me. If you need any more, just let me know. And then Jesus delivers his punchline by asking this religious expert, who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I imagine this religious expert swallowed hard. It was a bitter pill. I imagine him saying sheepishly, well, the one who showed mercy. Not the priest, not the Levite, 
But the one, he can't even say the word. He can't even say Samaritan. The one who showed mercy. That one, he concludes, fulfilled the law of Moses in a way that religious leaders did not. It's, it's, it's very difficult for us living in this time and in this place to imagine how bitter and how scandalous and how offensive that conclusion must have been for this religious expert. I, it's hard to come up with an analogy, but this would be maybe similar to the very conservative theologian, popular John MacArthur, having to painfully come to the conclusion that a gay Muslim who serves the homeless on Saturdays and prays during the week is more righteous than the guy who leads a Bible study on Wednesday but avoids eye contact with the homeless as he goes to his work. That's about the equivalent. Jesus has totally turned the table. This guy wanted to know, who's my neighbor? But Jesus gives this shocking revelation about what it means to be a neighbor. About what it means to be a neighbor. And the point of this revelation is that being a neighbor is not about the fervency of your faith. It's not about the denomination you belong to. It's not about the appearance of your piety. It's not about religious or ethnic proximity. It has nothing to do with that. Being a neighbor is about doing acts of love and justice and mercy. And so Jesus looks at this religious expert as this bitter pill goes down and the shocking uh, realization takes place. And he looks at the lawyer and he says, good, yeah, Now you're beginning to see. Go and do likewise. Act like a neighbor. Act like a neighbor. Now you and this church are in the middle of a a wonderful series called Sync, where you're exploring, how can my life more align to the teachings of Jesus? And boy, I can't tell you, that that is such an important question in our day. How can my life align with the life and teaching of Jesus? How can I be in step with Jesus? And so we need to ask the question, well, how can our lives align with this teaching? How can I be the neighbor Jesus calls me to be? I thought long and hard about this, and really, there's so much that could be said about it. But I want to keep it very sharp and very clean. I think being a neighbor begins by seeing others with a new clarity. Outside the presuppositions that we have, beyond the boxes that we put people into, beyond our prejudice. The priest and the Levite saw a hurting man, but they avoided him. They averted their eyes and they kept on walking. And this is incredibly ironic because these are the very individuals who claim to see, but they were blind. They were blind to the heart of God and they were blind to the heart and purpose of Torah. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love mercy and to do justice. 
And so we are challenged to see others with a new clarity, a gospel clarity that is grounded in the deep compassion of God for the world that He loves. Deeply valued. Every individual, in spite of their politics, in spite of their nationality, in spite of their sexual orientation, in spite of the color of their skin, in spite of the jersey they wear on Sundays. Deeply valued. There is no person you will ever encounter that has no redeeming value, and that is not created in the image of God. So valued are these individuals, including you and me and others that we write off, is that God would send His Son to rise and die for them. There is not an individual you will meet that is not redeemed by God and loved by God beyond all measure. And so if we're going to have our lives come into sync with Jesus, if we're going to keep in step with Jesus and be a neighbor, I think it begins with this new gospel clarity that gives way and is balanced by a new scale of value, a gospel scale where we size people up and value them in the same way that God does. And that takes work and that takes a community, that takes a church and that takes practice. And it leads to a new generosity, as it did with this Samaritan. The compassion that the Samaritan shows is not a sentimental compassion. It is actual. He delays his trip, he opens up his wallet, and he risks, as a Samaritan, going into a Jewish village so that this man can receive aid and healing. He shows a radical generosity of his time, his money, and his life. Jesus is getting at something that he revisits again and again and again in his teaching. When it comes to the Christian faith, it's not how much you know. It's not how much you feel. It's how much you love. It's how much you show mercy. It's how much you seek justice. That's the core of the life of the follower that Jesus envisioned us to be. Now I want you to kind of imagine, thought experiment here, just imagine the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, it sounds like the setup to a joke, doesn't it? Uh, a Samaritan, a Levite, and a, and a priest went into a bar. No, um, just imagine these three individuals later on in their life, in the twilight of their life, and they're reflecting back on this encounter, on their journey to Jericho. I imagine that the priest and the Levite must have felt regret. I imagine that the urgent tasks that so drove their life, that felt so important at the time, have faded away into insignificance. I imagine them feeling embarrassed as they recalled that instant when they stepped aside and kept on going on. I wonder if they asked the question that Jesus is posing to them in this story, how could we be so blind? We who claim to see, how could we be so blind? I imagine the Samaritan felt shocked 
shocked especially on that day when he comes before God, on that day when the sheep are separated from the goats, and he hears these words of welcome from the king. From Matthew 25, verses 34 and following, all red letter. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. My dear friends, God loves you without limit. He loves us without limit, and he calls us to love just like that. To love without limit, without boundary, and without condition to show mercy, to seek justice, to guard the dignity, to guard the dignity of every human being. And do I need to tell you that that is exactly what our world needs in this day? Just visit Facebook. It's what we need also, though. This is the gospel truth. Be a neighbor. Follow Jesus by being a neighbor and you will discover your neighbor. And in discovering your neighbor, you will discover the face of Jesus. That is the gospel of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus, for Your witness to the way of life and for the relationship with You and the relationship with others that Jesus establishes. Most of all, we thank You for the cross that He bore to destroy the sin that separates us from You and from others. May we join Your Spirit with the movement Jesus inaugurated by His resurrection. May the love of the Father and may the peace of Christ and the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit mark our lives and be manifest through us. And among those we encounter on the roads we travel this day, this week, and in the weeks to come. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.